All right. Well, we want to look into God's Word together this evening from Philippians chapter 3. So if you have a copy of God's Word, if you'll turn with me to the New Testament, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Philippians chapter 3. Uh, just This is a one-off, and that's, how I, that's the term I use. This is not part of any series. This is just a study in Philippians chapter 3. And uh, I pray that it'll be an encouragement to you. I think there's a few kind of particular ways that I desire uh, the Lord to, to use this. I think of this as a passage that's just good reminders that we all need. It's a reminder that, that I need kind of midsummer lull, right? I need these kind of reminders. Um, as I was uh, preparing and, and thinking about this evening... I did also think, man, you know, Paul here is is kind of confessing some things and talking about his own struggle to follow Jesus here in Philippians three, and um, and I, you know, I, I don't say a lot. I don't you try not to use a lot of personal illustrations, but I want you to know that I still have a long way to go as a Christian, and I am still growing. And uh, I hear messages and I get convicted. Uh, I meet with folks during the week for counseling. It's rare that I don't feel like I am benefiting from time with other Christians who are needing to grow because I need to grow. And uh, if you haven't had a conversation about how you could grow spiritually or haven't had an opportunity to talk with someone about their growing spiritually recently, I would encourage you to do it. I find it regularly edifying to myself. Uh, usually I'm on one end of it and I have a particular role, but the benefit is still there. And uh, I hope that these reminders regarding sanctification or becoming more like Jesus, growing in holiness, um, will just be an encouragement to you. There'll be kind of little guides that you can keep in front of you, maybe even this week, to remind yourself, encourage yourself uh, in your spiritual growth, both individually and then as the Lord allows uh, with, with others. I want to pray with you, and then we're going to jump into Philippians chapter 3. We're going to look especially at verses 12 through 16, but we're going to get a, a little run in with the context. Let's pray one more time. Father God, we ask now that you would bless your word in the hearing, that you would equip us to better understand how it is that you are at work. Uh, Father, thank you that uh, when you save us, you change us. And uh, that when you come for us, you'll change us. Help us to better understand how you're changing us in between. Uh, and Father, we, we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Some uh, in, in Philippi were telling the Christians there uh, to accept Christ, yes, but then pursue holiness through obeying the law, right? We would think of it like the Pentateuch, right? The first five books of the law. So the message became, well, Jesus plus, right? And Paul comes and he says, okay, I had the plus part down pat. I was like professional level at the plus part. And yet I reject it so that I can have the Jesus part. You see? So some are saying it's Jesus plus, and he's saying, man, I, I, humbly but honestly, I was pro at the plus part, right? Obeying the law, I had it. Pharisee, I, I had that. I had that down. But I had to reject that, forsake that, so that I could have Jesus. Some might say, okay, well, Christ plus 
a righteousness that you get through obedience. And Paul says, no, 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 it's, it's Christ alone. They needed clarification on the gospel. They needed clarification on sanctification. And yet I think the more we live as Christians and the more maybe even familiar you are with the book of Philippians, it's probably a favorite book of several of us, the more we need to be reminded as well. We need clarification on the gospel, on sanctification. We need reminders. And this was written for our learning. One of the things that I think we can slip into as Christians and maybe as a church, an established church, 1858. Every time I see a cop in Lapeer, if you look on the side, the police in Lapeer was established in 1858. Now, I don't know that there's any direct connection, you know, Baptist church. Now we need police. But uh, but this is an established church, right? Though I, I learned that the Baptist church of Hadley is even older. Right by by twenty plus years, I think. But nonetheless, um, yeah, we I think we can think. Okay, yeah, we we're, we're conservative in our doctrine. We're conservative in our maybe our dress or our lifestyle. But Paul would come alongside and say, "This is no reason to boast before the Lord." In fact, trusting in that that righteousness. That morality is is reason to repent. Paul reminds us that we, conservative people, moral people, however we might think of ourselves, need to need to turn from trusting in ourselves, trusting in our righteousness. Right. So we repent of our sin, but we also repent of our self righteousness. We forsake it. In fact, forsaking it isn't just like an optional thing or really a really good thing that I want to exhort you to do. Forsaking it is a requirement in order to gain Christ, right? Remember what Paul said. They're saying gospel plus. They're saying Jesus plus. I had the plus part, but I have to forsake the plus part in order to get Jesus. It's essential. So faith in Christ alone, not in Christ plus morality, not in Christ plus a conservative lifestyle. So Paul, just like Jesus did so often in the Gospels, goes after the religious and and calls them to repent of their self-righteousness. Look at verse 8, chapter 3 of Philippians, verse 8. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of Christ Jesus, of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. So in, in regards to belonging to god paul says man i count my my righteousness as as nothing he wanted a righteousness he needed a righteousness but it was not his own it was a righteousness from another place what theologians will call alien righteousness right it doesn't fit it's not from here it's not mine it's an alien from outside This is Christ, right? Look at verse 9. And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. So he counted his self-righteousness as rubbish, as dung, and clung by faith to a righteousness from God. So he's turning from his sin, turning from his self-righteousness, And turning to Christ and turning to his righteousness. So that uh, 
leads us to verses 10 and 11, which is the immediate context of our passage, which is verses 12 through 16. Here in verses 10 and 11, he shares his desires. He has four desires. He wants to know Christ. He wants to know the power of Christ's resurrection. He wants to share Christ's sufferings. And he wants to become like Christ in his death. And then he gives the reason for his desires at the end of verse 11. So here's the reason why he wants these things. That by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Now, that is a difficult verse, and I'm not going to wrestle with you with the difficulty because I'm still just setting up the context for our passage. Uh, this afternoon, uh, I was looking at a commentary that had like a page and a half just on options, right? Different, different options for this. I think we could summarize it and say, Paul longs to be like Jesus, in his death and in his resurrection. He wants to be fully like him. So by any means possible, he wants to be completely like Jesus. Or to attain the resurrection from the dead. As we go, I think it will become clearer why that's important and, and clearer what that means. So then what is Paul to do till then? Till he dies or Jesus returns. What should we do? Longing for Christ's likeness, awaiting him making us perfect at the judgment of the just when he comes for us. Longing to be changed, Christ instructs us about how to change. And he does it through the apostle Paul. So I want to look now, zoom in on verses 12 through 16, three guides, three guides in our sanctification. So three short sentences that I think will be orienting guides to point us in the right direction. Let me read uh, verses 12 through 16. But first, let me give you these three points briefly, then we'll step through them in order. First, we are not there yet. Second, press on with zeal. Third, strive with grace. We're not there yet. Press on with zeal, strive with grace. Chapter 3 of Philippians, follow along while I begin reading in verse 12. Not that I have already attained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. Excuse me. Thank you. Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if any, if anything... So if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. So three guides in sanctification. Uh, the, 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 the sermon is my own. The points uh, I got from someone, because I thought they were really helpful. Three guides in sanctification. Point number one, we are not there yet. Uh, maybe you've done a road trip with someone who is little recently. Are we there yet? 
right? Are we there yet? How much longer? Uh, I live with probably, probably half my children just don't have a really good concept of time yet. So you can say it's going to be 30 minutes or it could be three hours and they don't know. It sounds like 30 is longer, right? Um, and uh, yeah, anyways, but you get the idea. So Paul, Paul would say, no, no, I'm going to stress the fact we're not there yet. We have not arrived as Christians. We are not a church. We gather, man, we're the arrived group, right? The fellowship of the arrived. That has a ring to it, right? If you think you've arrived, you're welcome here. If you haven't arrived yet, no, 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 that's not it at all, right? It's not some kind of elite, like, oh, those are the Christians who have made it. No, not at all. Church isn't, okay, if you're spiritually strong, no. It's if you have the spirit, right? Uh, it's not some elite club. Notice, notice that verse 12, and then if you kind of jump down to verse 13, they both begin with a negative statement here. So, uh, verse 12 begins, uh, not that I have already attained this. So what is the this? Well, it, it points back to the resurrection of the dead at the end of verse 11. Complete sanctification, right? This is when we, uh, we are sinless and perfect at the resurrection. Right? We are made uh, holy, we are completely sanctified, we are glorified. And he's saying, I haven't attained this. And, and the next phrase confirms that, right? Or am already perfect. It's not that I've, I've, I've already been resurrected, it's not that I've arrived, or that I'm perfect. Look at how verse 13 begins, also a negative. Brother, uh, brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. What is the it? What's this complete sanctification, this sinless perfection that'll be ours at the resurrection of the dead? So let's just pause here and say, okay, Paul has a clear category for Christians who sin. He addresses them as brothers, or we could say brothers and sisters, he understood them to be Christians, and yet as important here is the fact that he understood them, though to be Christians, yet they hadn't arrived. He hadn't arrived at his goal, his destination. The Christians hadn't arrived. Something that would only happen at the resurrection of the dead. Now, some Christians, and we've talked about this some on Wednesday night. Some of you uh, are regulars on midweek Bible study uh, over here through the book of Romans. We've talked about this, that some Christians in the past have taught a version of this, that you could arrive. Through keeping the law, it's what Judaizers in the first century seem to be teaching, a kind of form of perfectionism. So he's instructing them, he's confronting this teaching. In our day, it had the fancy name of Keswick Theology. It looks like Keswick, uh, but the W is silent. Keswick theology or a Keswick view of sanctification where through kind of a second working of the spirit, a second working of grace, you would arrive. Maybe you become spiritual or you are fully dedicated to the Lord. But sanctification isn't a switch that you flip. 
It isn't some higher plateau that you reach. Rather, it's the continual mortification of sin, the continual growth of a spirit-indwelt Christian, varying degrees of being spirit-controlled, fully united to Christ. That's the view of sanctification that we have here. You notice the light. He's striving. He's working for this. Some have looked down at verse 15, supporting this view that you can arrive. Let those of us who are mature think this way. It's a good translation, right? Paul's thinking of Christians who should be mature to align their thinking with him. So he said, think like me. Those who are mature, think like this. Join me in thinking like verses 12 through 14. Some older translations, maybe you have the word uh, perfect here. This is also helpful because it helps us make the connection with his use of the word back in verse 12. So in the ESV, that's obscure. Though they're clarifying with the word mature, it doesn't help us see, see the connection. So in verse 12, Paul says, and he's, he's not already perfect. First point, we're not there yet. In verse 15, he addresses those who are perfect. Well, what does he mean? He means maybe those who are mature or maybe those who think of themselves as perfect, right? Those who think you're perfect, you're not perfect. The church is not a place for perfect people. It's a place for those who are sick and know themselves to be. So Paul is teaching Christians they have not and cannot arrive at perfection prior to the resurrection of the dead. Okay, let me just pause here. And I want to draw out some implications that I hope will be an encouragement to you. Maybe it will encourage you in your Christian walk. Maybe it will encourage you in uh, or equip you to encourage others in their Christian walk. Brothers and sisters, we are not there yet. And this is encouraging. Why is this encouraging? If arriving at perfection was attainable in this life, who of us, who of us could, could know ourselves and be encouraged? I, I mean, you know, we could just all go home, you know, it's like, it would be so discouraging, right? But since sanctification is and will be for us an ongoing process in your life, for the rest of your life, lack of sanctification or perfection in particular is, is an abnormal, right? It is the Christian life. <laughs> it, it, it is, it's, where we, it's where we live. If perfection was attainable, I'd have to despair, right? I'd have to constantly live looking for that special sauce, Right? I'd be in search for that special thing. I would go back to the Northwoods of Wisconsin when I was in Bible college and I grew. I'd have to get back there. I'd have to go to camp. I'd have to go to conference after conference after conference to look for the special sauce. I'd have to listen to that sermon and listen to it again. I'd have to follow that preacher online and he'd be the only one I could learn from because he would have the special sauce. And I would travel to his church and I would become a Christian group. No, 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 no. Right? Don't do, don't do that. This is, this is encouraging, right? Christians, Christ does change us. He does change our relationship to sin. We talked about it this morning. Buried with him in baptism, raised to walk in newness of life. And he does it dramatically, especially 
at conversion, regeneration, and at this future resurrection. But in between, we grow. We haven't arrived. We grow in humility. Now, I don't know that I often act proud, but the inner voice in my head is very proud. Right. We grow in patience, bearing with others. We grow in love. At the resurrection of the dead, we will attain perfection, maturity. We will be changed. When we die, when Christ returns for his church, God will do the changing. We will receive it as a gracious gift from his hand. But we are not there yet. So the first guide concerning our sanctification is that we are not fully sanctified. That's important to know and believe and work out. But we're going to keep going. Point number two. We are to press on with zeal. Christians are always active. Look at verse 12. I press on. I make it my own. Verse 13. Forgetting. Straining. Verse 14. I press on. Verse 16. Let us hold true. We're not there yet, but we press on with zeal. Striving and straining and running and pursuing. These are the verbs of sanctification. Christians don't let go and let God. Rather, because God has and does work, we labor, we work, we fight, we run, we mortify. So the pursuit of holiness is always active. This is not the way you became a Christian, but this is the way of a Christian, right? You are saved by grace through faith. You did not have a part, right? He saved you. You are made holy more and more each day by grace through faith. But you do have a part as you strive for holiness and grow spiritually. So Hebrews twelve fourteen ought not to sound strange to us as Christians. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Strive for necessary holiness. The key verb uh, is repeated twice. It's there in verse 12. It's down again in verse 14. Verse 12, I press on to make it. Again, the it here is perfect Christ likeness, complete sanctification or holiness at the resurrection. I press on to make it my own. He's pursuing it. He hasn't, he hasn't arrived at perfection, but he is pursuing it. Verse 14, I press on toward the goal. He's not discouraged that he's not arrived, but he presses on. So the second point here, I think, is clear. We must press on with zeal. This isn't how we're made right with God. But having been made right with God through Christ, this is how we live. Pressing on with zeal is how we become more like Christ. Well, what does this look like? What, what might this look like in your life? Well, this means that Christians, ordinary Christians, not super Christians, not some higher plateau Christians, not Christians who think they've arrived or you think have arrived, normal Christians 
resist a maintenance mentality in their sanctification. They don't think of all the things they're not doing and rest in that. We must never rest with where we are today regarding godliness, right? So we don't think, well, my marriage isn't that bad, or it's not as bad as it was, or it's not as bad as it could be, or it's not as bad as someone else's. We don't think, well, I think on the whole, we're doing all right. I may not be perfect, but I'm better than most, and I'm trying really hard, or, man, life's really busy. And I'm, I'm, just, I'm just making it. No, we, we say, no, no, no. By God's grace, no. We want to resist a maintenance mentality. We are not there yet, but we press on with zeal. Uh, some have used this phrase, and I think it's helpful. Let me explain it. We should cultivate a holy dissatisfaction. Dissatisfied with where we're at. Not satisfied, dissatisfied. A holy dissatisfaction. It doesn't mean that I... I doubt whether I'm a Christian because I'm struggling. That's not what holy dissatisfaction means. Paul addresses them as believers. They are in the same family. Maybe you struggle with this, right? You're tempted to doubt because you struggle with sin. Be encouraged. A holy dissatisfaction is entirely normal for the Christian life. Doesn't mean doubt, but it also doesn't mean discouraged. Oh, I've met Christians like this. I've been this Christian. Any growth is asterisk. But my motives were not fully pure. You know? Uh, any, 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 any love is man, asterisk. But I still am pretty selfish. Right? No, we say, no, by God's grace, we're grateful that he is growing us and that we're made progress and taken steps and been able to grow, even if they're small or insignificant. I'm not content with where I'm at. I'm pursuing holiness. There's a holy dissatisfaction in my stance as a Christian. This normally looks like diligently and regularly putting ourselves in the way of grace, the ordinary means of grace. So, uh, diligent pursuit of Christ-likeness, man, again, we want the secret sauce, right? If you, this is what, this is what one of my professors in Bible college used to say. If you could climb a mountain on your hands and knees on broken glass and know that at the top of the mountain, you would be free from that sin struggle, you would do it. You would do it. I would do it. Take me a day, take me two days. That'd be amazing. That would be amazing. But that's, that's not what we're called to. What are we called to? Word, prayer, fellowship, putting off, putting on. You say, pastor, that sounds like preschool stuff. That's like basic. That, yes. That, and that's how God ordinarily works. Right? That, that is where the river of his grace flows the strongest. And our job is to get in the middle of the river. Say, this is how he normally works. That's where I want to be. That's where I want to be. Not some extraordinary thing, but some ordinary thing that he promises to work extraordinarily through. So pressing on with zeal often looks like, by God's grace, in the morning, I have uh, a place. I have a time. 
I have a purpose, I have a process. Uh, I'll, I'll just confess that, that my, most of my adult life, uh, my, call it quiet time, devotion time, Bible intake and prayer has looked like, man, I just, man, it's kind of a moving target. And uh, I think the biggest thing that the Lord has done through the sabbatical and coming off of the sabbatical is that Sammy and I get up together at 6 o'clock and read our Bibles together before the kids wake up. Man, I, I think that's what pressing on and forgetting and pressing on and striving and laying hold looks like for me. Looks like I have a, and a commitment first thing in the morning. And I, and I try to hold that commitment by God's grace. That's not very flashy, is it? Right? We would do the hands and knees on glass thing, right? And he calls us to, no, 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 follow me, pursue me. Zeal may not be seen, right? A zeal for God's word may look like, man, I'm just getting a little more sleep right now, or a little less sleep right now, right? It may mean, man, I, I'm working on, after I read the Bible, just pausing for 30 seconds to meditate on one thing I read. It might look like, you know, I feel like I'm too old to memorize anything. I can't remember things, let alone memorize things. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to listen to this verse every day. See if I can get it to stick in my brain. Zeal may look like, man, by God's grace, when I'm done reading and praying, I'm not just going to do reactionary prayers. I'm going to think through some acronym, A-C-T-S. I'm going to be zealous to grow in my prayers. It, it may look like, man, on Sunday morning, no one's noticed, but I, I'm, I'm trying to just get out of my shell, die to myself, and talk to three people I don't know yet. Some of them I got to ask their name, even though we've been in the same room once a week for years. Some I just got to figure out where do they live. Where, I just need to go to the basics. I'm going to pursue people. I'm going to have a, a heightened intentionality. I'm going to be zealous to grow in my love for my brothers and sisters in Christ. Pressing on looks like killing sin and denying the flesh and cultivating the fruit of the spirit. There's so much that we could say here. But we are not there yet. So we press on with zeal. And this leads to our third guiding truth about sanctification. We are to strive with grace. This desire to grow rooted in this holy dissatisfaction with where we are is rooted in a trust that God is changing me. Look at the end of verse 12. Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. I press on because Christ possesses me. Do you get that? I press on because Christ possesses me. I want to be more like Christ because Christ has all of me. So it's from a place of security that one is striving. Do you see that? We're not striving for security, but from security, we're striving. Christ has laid hold of me, therefore, I press on to lay hold of holiness. So it's indicative, therefore, imperative. Truth, therefore, command, not command, therefore, truth. It's not, I lay a hold of holiness, therefore, Christ is holding on to me. 
No, he's got me so I can go hard after holiness. We strive with, from, by, grace, because we've been accepted in Christ, not so that we would be accepted in Christ. How freeing is this, right? So the end of verse 12 propels the middle of verse 12. Look at the end of verse 12. Christ Jesus has made me his own. Look at the middle. I press on. Possessed, I press. Remember, Paul has already taught that we strive with grace in the strength that he provides. Look back at chapter 2, verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Here it is. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Back in our passage, chapter 3, verse 14, here's the shorthand version. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God. Here it is, in Christ Jesus. How does Paul press on? In Christ Jesus. There's a finish line. There's an athlete. He's pressing. He's running straight for the finish line. He's not doing circles. He's not dilly-dallying. He's going hard at the line in order to receive the prize. How does the athlete run? In, out of, aware of his union with Christ. This is the great theme of uh, of Paul's letters, right? In Christ Jesus or in him or in Christ Christ. We're united to him by faith. He takes our sin. We receive his righteousness. And his resurrection power then begins the process of renovating us. So we run. We run. We run. We press on in Christ Jesus. So let me, let me back out and summarize here. How... Are you going to grow in the midst of this midsummer lull? I feel the midsummer lull. It's getting a little warmer. It's getting, you know, I feel it. I don't even know how to describe it. I think, I think um, I've done enough projects that I've lost some momentum. That's part of the lull, Okay. It's the midsummer. You know, you knocked out a bunch of stuff. Spring, good weather, stuff's greening up. You're knocking it out. Mid-July, you're like, well, I'll wait till September. I think we can do the same spiritually if we're not careful. Some guiding truths. You are not there yet. Press on with zeal. One person said the Christian life is hot pursuit, not cruise control. Your security isn't based on how well you do. Some of you need to plaster that on your mirror. It's based on Christ having embraced you. And so this is the grounds for the third point. Strive with grace. United with Christ. Possessed by Christ. By faith you strive for holiness. Belong to him. Possessed by him you pursue This summer, remember, 
They're not there yet. Neither am I. Press on with zeal. Strive with, with grace. Let me close us with prayer and then we will be dismissed. Let's pray. Father God, uh, just grateful for these reminders from the Apostle Paul. Thank you for his example. Help us to reject Christ plus. Would we not trust in our own righteousness, but trust in Christ alone, united to him, possessed by him? Would we then seek to pursue, to strive after growth and holiness and sanctification. Father, we pray that by your spirit, you would enliven our efforts at diligence. Make them effective for your purposes. Help us to, to hold these truths in tension and together. And I pray that as we head into this week, uh, that you, we would pursue you with heightened intentionality. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. You are dismissed. Thank you. Don't forget there's books down front.